everyone. Welcome to Edelman Editions. I'm really excited today to be joined by Gemma Kearney, who is an award-winning broadcaster and author and who is passionate about empowering young women and our topic today, which centers around mental health. Gemma attended the Brit School and did a brief stint in fashion in her early 20s, and her unique infectious broadcasting style was swiftly spotted by the BBC. She graduated from BBC's One Extra to BBC Radio One, where she hosted the early breakfast show and weekend breakfast show. She then went on to present the station's social action show, The Surgery, for multiple years. Her radio documentaries include Dolly, Dylan or Daft Punk, What the F, The Story of Feminism, Nevermind the Cobblers, and The Rock and Roll Cobbler, and Molly Music, which saw her travel to Molly to discuss the country's music band and interview its emerging stars. Her acclaimed TV documentaries include The History of Feminism, Riots, The Aftershock, and Dying for Clear Skin on BBC Three. She has presented the BBC's Glastonbury Festival coverage and co-hosted BBC One's New Year's Eve coverage, which had more than 12 million viewers, and which I think she had even forgot the other day. <laughs> In 2016, she co-hosted the BBC Music Awards on BBC One alongside Claudia Winkleman and Fern Cotton, and her debut book, Open, a toolkit for how magic and messed up life can be was published in 2017 and described as a guide to help young people navigate love, friendships, health, and other aspects of growing up. In 2014, she made rural history by hosting a live Google Hangout from Buckingham Palace for the Queen's Young Leader Project. And she's been an ambassador for Oxfam for five years, which has raised thousands of dollars for the charity. And she also, when she has spare time, which I don't know what it, where that is, she lends her support to Women's Aid. So, you know, that is a mouthful, Gemma, but I'm, I personally am very glad that you're here with us today. I'm really excited to talk to you about some of these, these things and continue the conversations around mental health. Um, but I really wanted to start at the start. Um, you know, talking about mental health, it seems like it has always come naturally to you, which is great because that it doesn't seem the case for a lot of others. You know, is that something that has, you know, kind of fallen in your lap or something that you've been, you know, kind of um, pointed about kind of seeking out. Can you tell us a bit about your own experiences there? Well, I grew up in a house where I was quite well versed in talking about being not very well, but from your mind's perspective. And that's because my mum wasn't very well when I was growing up. And that was always discussed in those terms. She talked about going to the doctor. She talked about feeling sick. And it wasn't something that I could see as a physical manifestation, but I knew that she was often quite low and quite unhappy. So that gave us, in some ways, on reflection, perhaps a gift to be able to understand and empathise that illness is not always something that you can see. Yeah, no, you know, I think that's super important. And I think something that you've talked about before is is being able to have the language to describe your feelings or the language to, to be able to describe, you know, uh, what you need and the support that you need. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that and how that's kind of influenced you as well? I think that being able to articulate one's emotions is one of the most empowering things that we can do for ourselves in this lived experience. I don't think it's taught at schools necessarily. You can't get a grade in being able to express yourself, but you can learn it individually. And I think that that means that within our own communities, our own households, our own colloquial use of words, we can form a way 
to talk about our feelings and sometimes that can be on a spectrum of the more severe and extreme and the doctor can help you with that from a medical perspective but sometimes within your workplace or within your romantic relationships or families you can actually carve out something that makes sense to the nearest and dearest in a in a way that perhaps requires you some time to sleep if you're exhausted research if you need therapy or even celebrate if you're feeling really good. I think mental health is something that we often glaze over as a negative and it becomes very serious. But the full stretch of mental health means that when you're healthy, you feel damn great and that that should be talked about too. Yeah, I love that. I I was looking at something recently and it was about reframing how you think about things, you know, so you know, everyone kind of looks for red flags, but actually looking for for green flags as well. And I think that fits really nicely with what you just said. You know, it's 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 yes, it's recognizing the signs of poor mental health, but equally it's also as you say celebrating when we have you know, positive mental health and, and what you can do to, to keep yourself there or, um, you know, kind of buoy that momentum, I guess. And everyone listening has a different framework. They use words differently. They have different coping mechanisms. And I think it's just really important to embrace what your personal toolkit is. We do live integrated lives. We have so much information. There are so many different points of support and joy and escapism and like like I said, on the more serious note, there really are so many things to help us get through what yeah. can be quite overwhelming. So if we are able to create the toolbox that looks good and comfortable for us, then I think that that's something that we are able to speak about with our peers and our own individual workplaces because I know that this comes from a work perspective and being able to speak to whoever you need to speak to at least know who that person is in your office yeah um from beyond a friend perspective but from one of care there is a duty of care from our employees and we need to know a bit more about that absolutely you know I think you know especially in comms our people are our business and that makes their health and well-being you know, crucial and central to our business, not just on a personal level, but as, you know, integral to our businesses. So I, I you know, I totally agree with you. And just knowing who, I don't know who, who's in your work that helps somebody if they're feeling like they can't go on, yeah. they don't want to get yeah. to work, they're tired, they're overwhelmed. What do people do? Yeah, so I think we have a few different things um, in place. Um, one of the things that we introduced over the last year is trained mental health first aiders. So people within the business from all different levels and all different teams that are designated as a trained mental health first aider that you know um, are signposted around the business. So people can choose the person that they, they feel most comfortable reaching out to. We also have our HR teams and line managers and sometimes in different teams, second line managers as well that you can go to You know, if you're feeling overwhelmed or you're feeling like you need support. So we're really trying to embed that in our culture and make sure that, as you say, that people know where to go or know how to seek out that help so you're not feeling so isolated. Because I often feel that that's one of the first of many steps to feeling good when you're feeling blue, and that's knowing that there are people or trained structures and systems out there that are specifically created to make you feel better. That is such a support in itself when you know where those places are and who those people are. 
Absolutely. And I think, you know, one, you know, one of the challenges with mental health, right, is it is it, you can feel so alone if you're dealing with, you know, something or you're feeling really low, you just kind of, you kind of go inwards immediately. And so it is that problem, a problem shared is a problem halved um, kind of situation, isn't it? Definitely. It's, it can be as simple as it can be as complicated. And some of the simplicity within being human is that you aren't alone. There's so many of us on this planet. You're really not on your own. And we've got to be honest, things have been tough. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. And it's okay to say that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, and I think I wanted to come back to something that you said earlier around your, you know, um, the resources available to you and, and how you form your toolkit, because I think, you know, what what is great and what we're seeing in some of the data about Gen Z specifically is that, you know, they're very attuned to their you know, their emotions, and they're very much more open to, to talking about them, right, and, and seeking out help, which is fantastic. But that hasn't always been the case, has it? And so I just, and, you know, you've been kind of championing these topics for over a decade. So how have you seen some of the conversations and action on mental health change over that time, for better or for worse? I can't believe how much it's changed. I think, for starters, as we say, within workplaces, there is a duty of care that's quite loud and proud in many respects. And I think that that's amazing. I I can't believe the the nuance in terms of the types of support and help that there is out there from charitable organisations to single pioneers in, in specific holistic spaces or books that have been written that are dedicated in healing your trauma it's quite incredible I am pleased for it and I I think that especially post-pandemic we are perhaps all in a space as a society to be kinder softer more understanding explore what empathy means and I don't think that the stigma of poor mental health is is as relevant as it once was. I think you'll always find someone in a close vicinity that is prepared to listen to you. And, and that is huge in a, in a movement that just didn't exist before. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, touching on the pandemic, you know, obviously I think it's made it easier for people to see the impact of mental health on our everyday lives, right? You know, people have been juggling childcare with their work life, with their pets, with, you know, all these things, taking care of family and um, just, or just taking care of themselves. And so, you know, we talk a lot about bringing your whole self to work or feeling comfortable, comfortable to be your whole self at work. And I think that does mean the good and the bad bits. Um, But, you know, being on Zoom calls, on Teams calls all the time, we've, we've been able to have that insight into each other's lives. And, you know, so what, what was your pandemic experience you know did you do you sense that yourself and do you do you think this has really impacted kind of people's approach to mental health conversations over the past kind of year and a half I definitely feel societally there is something in the air that makes us all more vulnerable because we have been physically and mentally more vulnerable there's been a pandemic that's we are feeling a bit fragile lives and health yeah absolutely and I think as the world re-emerges and we, quote-unquote, go back to normal, I like to see it as a brave new world where perhaps we didn't have time to talk about mental health or matters of the heart and mind before now because capitalism is rife, 
we have a lot of pressure, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's many research studies and statistics that prove that actually perhaps we were already in an epidemic of loneliness, for example, before the pandemic began. But I do think that after this, where we were all somehow in a huge tidal wave equalised for a period of time in terms of juggling or fear or admitting to feeling lonely or feeling overwhelmed by our our family work balance, etc. Everybody's version of it is different, but I think everybody's version met hard times and was worried about something or perhaps even deeper than that, lost somebody or had long COVID and, and experienced it from a physical level. And there's something so magical about that equalization where our problems aren't just in our heads or in our households. We all had to come together. And I just think that we shouldn't lose what that means in terms of how it creates creates something bigger in terms of I'm using the word empathy quite a lot because I think it's quite important. I think it's quite empowering and it helps us find our language. And then within my particular experience, I had quite a profound um, pandemic because I work so hard that I didn't realise how much that was burning me out in terms of being at the beck and call of so many different people that employ me in so many different medias or forms or networks or disciplines within the arts or even all over the world which is amazing on paper but I was tired yeah and being able to perhaps reset or sit and be still and think in my personal life I was grieving I was going through a bereavement of a friend who I think is not on the planet too soon she was a young woman and I just really strangely perhaps mentally benefited from sitting still for a bit um, and diving into what it really means on a deeper level to be able to explore your mental health so for me that was reading that was researching that was continuing a very specific type of therapy on zoom that was cold water swimming mm-hmm that was reaching out to people that I I didn't even always have the time to be able to do. You, you can, you know, I think a lot of people can relate to the fact that there was time to connect to perhaps old friends or newer friends. And I was on my own for the first lockdown for three months. And people always meet with that as a fact as they sort of look at me and feel sorry for me. But it was actually one of the most healing experiences I think I've ever had in my whole life because I had time to sleep mm-hmm. not be anyone's beck and call and and nurture this next phase of my life into being which I wanted to be a bit calmer to be honest yeah and it seems like what you're describing is is very intentional about thinking about researching you know reading information about how to you know kind of bolster or improve your mental well-being and your physical well-being at the same time so is, is that how you look at it you know very, very kind of intentional steps or I am a student of life I really am <laughs> I am in awe of words I'm in awe of certain practitioners 
I live a big life. I'm in search of naturous beauty, great people. I've met fascinating geniuses. Mm-hmm. I feel so lucky, but I feel humble to that. And I'm, I'm also somebody who hasn't lived an easy life. That's for many reasons. But I am a woman and I am black. And both of those parts of my identity have been met with continuous um, barriers or uh, inequality. Um, so that that stays within you. And, you, and you, whatever it, your story is, whoever you are listening, we all meet different barriers or suffer different losses or feel different injustices. And I think you have to take time to really learn how to to get over those or let go of those because otherwise you sort of go through the motions and like you say it's intentional and it's limitless I just think we could endlessly learn about how fantastic life can actually be from reading poetry to psychologically really understanding a part of your brain as to why you might act a certain way you know I think there's it it doesn't stop and I am an inquisitor. I am a curious person. And for me, that's been so empowering. I can understand why certain things manifested in certain ways, why you, anybody can get stuck in a negative thought loop or feel exhausted or and just embrace and play within within those, those feelings and work out how to... Um, I guess it sounds really epic, but like transform them into something good. And mm-hmm. I honestly think that you can, because I I have managed to learn like so much about my mind and there's so much, there's so much in the idea of mental health and health is wealth. Yeah, and it's it's to me way more important than any kind of success or money. It's my responsibility as I live as a as a human and and my love of life and my love of humans around me continues, and it keeps me kind of on that quest of reading, joining webinars, following certain speakers, and and it doesn't stop. And for me, that's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I mean, it comes through in, in how you speak about, um, you know, the topics as well. Right. And in, in, in terms of the language that you use that you can tell that the, this zest for life is, 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 you know, at, at your core. I do love life. I am lucky for that. <laughs> Even in moments of despair, there is something that keeps me looking up I love life. I think that this world is really amazing. And I think that's to do with the fact that I was born this way. It's kind of annoying for many. I'm an eternal <laughs> optimist. But I am also. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing. But uh, I, I've travelled a lot and I've immersed myself even briefly amongst different cultures. And for me, that has given me so much. There is so much out there. There's so much more beyond scrolling an Instagram feed in terms of experience and it keeps me on my toes and it keeps me in love with life yeah I think life's extraordinary and we can we can 
really do some great stuff with it. Definitely. You know, I, I love the point that you made about intersectionality as well. It's something that we are trying to, you know, imbue in our discussions around equity and mental well-being from the beginning, um, you know, because I think it's really important to have, you know, everyone has their own lens on the topics and their own, as you say, lived experience or, um, you know, uh, Im- implicit bias that they need to challenge or, you know, whatever it is. And so I guess, you know, how have you seen this move towards more intersectional conversations around mental health um, or, you know, or how do you, how do you do that yourself? Absolutely. I think that there's been some incredible thinkers, writers, historians, academics. There are some awesome people out there who are helping us create a framework from an intersectional perspective, some of which are really open and <laughs> want to create a a world of coalition and allyship which I think is as important as realizing what your intersection might be and how that's affected your life so that we can all support one another so for example there is um, a writer called Emma Dabiri who is Nigerian Irish um, who writes really beautifully about coalition Uh, There is a writer called Nova Reed, who is an anti-racist campaigner, who's just brought out a book called The Good Ally uh, for us all to read and and to unpick and uncondition ourselves from systemic racism. There are so many amazing conversations out there that we can tap into and be a part of in terms of moving forward. I'm quite futuristic obsessed. I I think it's important to empower ourselves with the history that there is around us, but so much of it is so disgusting that for me it just kind of like empowers me to move forward. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, but I think it's important again. It's like that framework thing, that toolkit, that that actual personalization of this conversation. If it, if it means literally getting out a pen and paper, writing down who you identify as, how that may have affected you the three books that you need to read to perhaps empower you beyond how that has intersectionalized and, and created struggle or barriers or it it forms and, and equals certain feelings of inequality or trauma, etc. Then then there is an opportunity to, to kind of research beyond your own boundaries and I mean that like, in terms of the things that can hold you down mm-hmm. and there are always collectives and groups and like people within your community that can really empathize and understand like what you might be going through but we do need to learn how to talk about it we do need to be able to say statistically the amount of trauma for example black people hold within their bodies in this society mm-hmm. is a lot higher than those who are non-black because of what we've been through, whether that's from an epigenetic, I can't say the word, (laughs) epigenetics perspective and something that whether you're, you're interested in how that kind of is inherited through genetics or, or just what we experience from the beginning and, and essentially what seems like quite um, on the surface, diverse society, but also very separate. Mm -hmm. socioeconomically Mm -hmm. 
No, I, I totally agree. I was reading something not that long ago um, about the physical manifestation of the trauma from, you know, uh, from the grandchildren of people that were in the Holocaust. Um, you know, and it is, yeah. it is really, really confronting it, but also really eye opening, you know, about how that, you know, kind of presents itself. And it's, you know, until I read that, you know, it's not something that I was that aware of. But, you know, I think it's something that is is really interesting and, and then has opened my eyes up to to considering that in other contexts. Context. So, I, you know, I absolutely and we can release it. We can. It's really overwhelming to think about the depths of trauma. Yeah. But I really believe that we can work through it. Um, and it's very complex and very personal. But there are some amazing techniques, like I said, practitioners. Um, modalities of of living out there that I think for me are endlessly exciting and again move us into a future where perhaps we could all be civilians of a, a planet that we love because what the one leveler in all of this is actual living the climate the climate crisis the world the earth I think if we came together and tried to save that bit more, then we might find ourselves perhaps on a more equal playing field sometimes too. Yeah, I think there's so many things going on in the world right now that remind us of our just base humanity, aren't there? Um, And I think, you know, I I do want to touch on the point um, around, you know, having the language because, you know, as comms people, we tend to think that we're good with words, but um, we're good with words for our clients or for our businesses. But when it comes to, you know, talking about things that we find challenging for ourselves, we might not be so, so good at that. And, you know, I think what we saw in the survey data for the industry this year was that there were slight improvements in how we felt between last year and this year um, with our mental health, but there are still really wide gaps between, you know, genders. So females are worse off um, with their mental Mm. health than males and between seniority levels. So juniors continue to score lower than, than, you know, more senior levels. So, you know, I think there's a lot of guilt that comes with taking, you know, requesting time off for mental health still, especially for younger females. So, you know, we know that that comes with um, improvements in well-being if if that time can be taken. So, kind of, what are what are some of your suggestions or thoughts on that and how we can really support, you know, people with their mental health, but um, and the language to describe that to to ask for the time off that they need or the other or you know what else that they can do to kind of fill the toolbox. Yeah. Again, I think reading is really, really good. There's so many books available that might speak to us to be able to give us some of the language to articulate what we're going through. And sleep. (laughs) Being able to have a good night's sleep or a few of them back to back is just wonderful. So there are some basic human needs that I think we perhaps need to address. Less screen time, Yep. turning off our phones, not having our phones in the bedroom at night, etc. That's just some practical tips. But in terms of being able to tell those around us that we need that time to work out what's going on, I think is really important. And you don't have to divulge too much. I think there are some really beautiful ways of just expressing that you need some time for yourself to work out what's going on. And it would be worrying if your boss wasn't equipped to be able to deal with that. I know that the words duvet days were being talked about quite a lot in the webinar event, 
if it's that, then ask for it. If you need to rest and journal and maybe go and visit your doctor or speak to a family member or work out whatever is going on, then take it. Take it. Don't feel guilty. Take it. (laughs) You are more important than anything, I think. You really are. And I think your workplace and your your peeps, whoever is around you, want you to to feel the best that you can feel or at least to feel feel okay definitely and I think you know it's it's self-preservation right isn't it you know we call it self-care but it essentially it is self-preservation in that you know you know if you get to the point where you're burning out you know a, a lot of people we see are, are are choosing to to make a career switch or an industry switch even because they're just feeling so burnt out or overwhelmed and so you know we're trying to prevent that from happening. We want to make sure people see the communications industry and PR industry as somewhere that they want to come versus somewhere that they want to leave. And so I think that, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done in that um, in that aspect. But I think, you know, as you say, you know, we, we want to protect each other. And so it, it's only by asking, um, you know, and, and feeling like that you can ask and have those conversations in a, in a protected way um, that we're going to help you know, actually change that. And I think that we all need to get a bit stricter of ourselves in quite a courageous way. So be brave with the language that you use. Be honest Mm -hmm. with yourself if you need time. Mm -hmm. But also, we all have our own responsibility in our own lives for our own minds. And that not only means asking for time off when you need it or to express a truth, even if it's not divulging absolutely every inner secret but expressing when you need when you don't feel good when you need support but stuff like working out what makes you feel good often we don't even have time to do that we just go through the motions and perhaps what made you feel good five years ago doesn't make you feel good anymore Mm -hmm. so it's always about having this really important time for self-inquiry take yourself off and work out what is nourishing you who are the people that you want to spend your social time with Mm -hmm. do you live in a space that makes you feel safe um is your bed comfy are you immersing yourself in nature enough where is your local nature that inspires you how are you capturing memories? Are you always taking selfies? <laughs> are you constantly buying outfits, you know, from fast fashion outlets and it's making you feel a bit rubbish? Like, you have to have this list moment, I think, quite often to work out in this very confusing and overwhelming world what is making you feel good and what isn't. So that might be something as drastic as a career change, but you are, you'll actually maybe find that it might be being able to go swimming once a week or trying out a meditation app. Yeah, I love that. I was just doing a mental checklist as you were going through your list. I love them. I love them. Me and my boyfriend are just constantly like, are we okay with this? Is this okay? I don't know. I'm always sort of perhaps like holding on to like striving for something that feels really like good I always want goodness like to do better to be better for myself for others yeah it's 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 really important to me it makes me feel like I'm alive yeah I think I mean you've been described as an activist at heart which I think you know completely suits you and you know it, it feels like 
you know, that's something that comes innately to you in terms of wanting to improve the the communities that you live in and that you engage with. I think, you know, the thing that comes to mind is, is the kind of the podcast series you did back in the day around um, uh, My Beautiful Black Dog at Edinburgh and Fridge, which was about, you know, kind of the stigmas around anxiety and depression, you know, and that's just kind of one example. But, you know, what did that experience kind of teach you about, um, you know, about anxiety and depression and, and, you know, how people perceive that perhaps? So I was the producer of a very fringe punk musical called My Beautiful Black Dog, as you say, a while ago at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. It was written and performed by a great friend of mine called Brigitte Aphrodite and um, and their real-life partner, Quiet Boy, as they're called. And it was a two-person show about a real-life experience that ended up being sold out. And it was this kind of collage live experience that helped you perhaps work out the different ways of describing feeling depressed yeah and it was really real really raw and yeah it was it was a beautiful experience I feel really lucky to have always immersed myself in different forms of arts and communication so whether that's producing an actual live theatre show or hosting a podcast or writing a book um, has really, really helped and enhanced my life experience when it comes to delving into the complexities of emotion. Um, and I couldn't recommend that enough. I don't think you always need to be steamrolling towards the mainstream there's so much out there for us and I think we get bombarded with the shiny things but there's so much lurking within the grassroots and the underground that can be quite profound people walked out of my beautiful black dog in streams of tears because it was so kind of beautifully weird and unusual so raw and so depictive of how so many of us feel sometimes when you're really really honest and that was a theatre show on the fringe so what is out there for us so much yeah yeah and I think you know you've touched on kind of poetry and obviously your background is in music and uh, you know and spoken word and, and things like that and so you know I think as you say there's so many different ways that we can engage you know with language to, to kind of fill our toolbox or and they're strengthening as well it's strengthening to have a good cry to a good song so often I find myself in different parts of the UK walking past a cluster of houses in a residential area and I can't hear anything I can't see anyone no one's having a conversation no one's out in their front garden watering their plants no one is playing music in their homes like it's so weird to me because I need vibrancy to feel alive, vitality, conversation. Even if it's, it's kind of got an, an air of rambunctiousness, even if um, somebody is being quite loud, I, it doesn't necessarily matter to me. I just really want chatter and I want, I want living. And, and I think that a lot of those things are strengthening. So listening to music, putting on your favourite song, and turning it up loud and having a dance is so freeing and therapeutic. 
Definitely. I must say I'm very much looking forward to Adele's album coming out for that very reason. <laughs> oh, I love her. I love I love everything around the promo of it as well. I know that it's coming out like today or and yeah. over the next couple of days. And whenever you're listening to this, you might be already massively immersed into it. But um, I love the narrative around it. I love how she's talking about it. I think she's awesome. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I think that's a great example of, of how someone is using their art to channel, you know, how she's, she's been feeling since her divorce and she's been very open about that and that experience and how, you know, how challenging that is for her. And she's, I think she described it, you know, in an article I saw the other day about, you know, that's, that's how she's going to show her son, um, you know, when he's older, you know, why she made those choices. And I think that would, for me, that's so powerful, but, you know, just one example of, of how you can use, you know, language to, to help do that. Definitely. Definitely. I, and there's people out there to help you with that. And also it can be just weird release as well. We don't have to be able to talk about it. I talk for my job, but there are people that have written it for us or mm. or you can go and, and, and physically shake it out. I do Kundalini yoga. It's like one of the most woo-woo yogas that you can do. And I love it. And there's actually bits within the practice where you just sort of shake. <laughs> <laughs> And I absolutely love it. <laughs> I know. I've also heard you um, talk about cold water swimming, a love of cold water swimming, which, you know, until I moved to London, I was really just not aware of as like <laughs> something that you do. But apparently it's been, you know, shown to sh- have a positive effect on mental well-being as well, you know, from a science perspective. So, you know, how did you get into that? I moved to the coast. I moved to Margate down in Kent on the southeast coast out of London quite gleefully because London was kind of getting me down mostly to do with how expensive it was becoming to be honest and it was really freeing to be able to hang out with my mates on a beach it felt really cool and we talked about different things when we were on a beach rather than in a pub in London in a pub in London we talk about property prices and work and then on a beach we talked about the sunset and suddenly we all felt pulled to meet regularly and try swimming in what looked like the most beautiful sea. And it was. There's a huge tidal pool down there, which is really old. It's nearly 100 years old. And if the the tide is low, you have your own private swimming pool because <laughs> it's just this, this <laughs> huge wall that separates you from being out in the open. But it has seawater in it. And you can do laps and it's awesome. And I fell in love because I lived opposite it and I could see it from my bedroom. And I was pulled into it every day. I couldn't not go in it because I knew how good it made me feel. Just the tingle of it, salt water feels very cleansing. Often you'd be swimming like towards a beautiful sky. Yeah, it's very leveling um, and, and almost quite meditative. But I went back recently and the local water company has been dumping raw sewage into the sea. Oh, no. So I couldn't swim, which was absolutely heartbreaking. Um, Yeah, I don't really know what I'll say about that except for check in your local areas because a lot of companies are doing it and you can sign a petition so that it is discussed in Parliament. But that was really gutting because it's a massive part of my environment as to where I choose where to live and how I choose to live and cold water is so it can be so great 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that's a shame to hear, but, um, you know, hopefully people can, can get together and do something about that. I think. Um, Surrenders. It's yeah. so sad. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to, I know we're running out of time, so I just want to say thank you for joining us. And I would want, want to see if you can just leave us with, you know, maybe your top tips on, you know, if someone is feeling low or, you know, as you say, on the kind of precipice of burnout or, you know, <clears throat> or just trying to appreciate, as you say, like feeling really well, you know, what are your top tips for mm-hmm. them in terms of protecting their overall mental well-being? And as you say, your health is your wealth. So, you know, make, making sure that we can can be our whole selves for longer, enjoying life. I would like to say the disclaimer that even though I'm often cheery and everybody comments on my energy and zest for living. I have definitely felt lows as much as I felt up. So just so that people know, I really have had to kind of fight hard to stay as positive as I do and research hard and and be honest with myself. You know, I have experienced burnout too. So it starts with, you are not alone. I hear you. I get it. Life can be really, really, really hard. So please remember that you're not alone. I think that's such an important thing to kind of repeat as a mantra. And then as soon as you realise that you're not, then a whole world opens up to you of support and understanding and even professionalism. There are people trained to be able to deal with whatever it is that we are personally going through, whether it's something that's happened in your past, whether it's day-to-day anxiety, there are a number of techniques that we can experiment with to really empower us and make us feel better in this world. So research, please research in a way that feels almost exciting. I know that having burnout, feeling low, experiencing melancholy can be quite exhausting, but as soon as you start to slowly but surely flow in a direction that feels better, it can become really empowering to equip yourself with the knowledge and fill your toolbox with the things that you need for if and when this feeling comes back, you know how to deal with it. I would definitely advise buying so many books and following great people. If you are trawling Instagram often for inspiration on interior or shoes, then there are some excellent speakers out there Um, One of my favourites is called The Holistic Psychologist and she just puts uh, a number of really easy and accessible memes um, about navigating our minds and becoming empowered self-healers, which I think is really interesting. There are amazing books out there that will help us, so put them in your toolbox physically, listen to podcasts, play your favourite music, and find what your lines are, like what are your actual go-to sentences if you are feeling, quite frankly, knackered or scared or awash with grief. How do you express that to the people around you so that you have some time? Give yourself time because it's really magical, I think. Time can ease and soothe and heal. So if you need to find that, or you need to seek extra support in a form of outside therapy, what are the sentences that you say to those closest to you? How do you explain that to your partner? How do you explain that to your boss? And I think that that can be really empowering in itself so that you know that you've always, in your toolbox, can whip out that sentence when you need some time. 
Yeah, I love those. Very practical tips. So thank you, Gemma. Thank you so much once again for joining us. You know, I'm going to close it off there, but, you know, it's been an absolute pleasure. I think everyone is can hopefully feel very inspired after this discussion. And yeah, we look forward to, to seeing what you do next. Good luck, everybody. It can be amazing out there. <laughs> <laughs> I promise. You. Thank you so much. Thank you.